First Church family and welcome to our service of worship today. It is so good to see you sitting in the pews with us this morning. We're going to begin our service with our prelude. Praise God. Praise God. Once again, it is so good to see you here with us here in the service today. Uh, so glad to be able to have in-person worship services again. Do want to extend a welcome as well to those that are listening on the radio, those that are watching on Facebook Live. Uh, we know that many, many were ready to come back and rejoin us and worship here at the church this morning. And that's a wonderful thing that we're able to do that here today. But I know there's many that are choosing to stay home and listen on the radio or watch on Facebook Live. And I want to just say welcome to you as well and, and respect that decision. And so glad that we are able to continue to worship together, whether you're here in person or you're worshiping with us on the radio or on Facebook. It's good that God's people can worship together today. Today. There's several announcements, uh, some things that I want to highlight for you in the bulletin. Once again, if you're at home with us, or even if you're here in the sanctuary, you can find our bulletin on our church website, firstchurchnk.org. Uh, before I get to those announcements, I do need to have one point of clarification. Uh, the mask I was wearing as I was walking around the sanctuary this morning, this is not a Michigan mask. I had several people asking, this is Michigan Wolverines. It is not. It is Buffalo Sabres. I don't want to get, you know, kicked out of here or anything like that. So I just want to clarify, this is Buffalo Sabres, not Michigan Wolverines. So just had to throw that out there real quick. Uh, announcements, uh, again, bulletin, you can, you can follow along. If you're here in the sanctuary with us, you notice that we did remove the hymnals and the Bibles from the pews. That is a temporary measure um, that we're taking to try to reduce the number of items, number of surfaces that we're going to have to disinfect and clean every week. So lyrics to the songs, the praise songs and the hymns can be found in the bulletin. And we encourage you to follow along with scripture in your own Bible or on a, on a device of some sort. Uh, giving today will also be done. Uh, we're not going to pass the plates, um, but at the exits as you leave today, um, there will be deacons there with the offering plate. Feel free to give uh, as you exit the building today. And of course, online giving as well as, you know, through the mail are still good options as well to give your tithes and offerings. Today we are having communion. We thought what better way to celebrate 
being together again as a church family and then to celebrate communion together. So hopefully you had a chance as you came in the building today to pick up one of the prepackaged communion cups. Again, this is an opportunity to, um, uh, it gives us an option to have communion without needing to pass the plates and again, reduce the amount of contact with each other. So if you did not get one on your way in, I encourage you during, a, during one of the songs maybe or some point to grab one. They are on the tables by the parking lot entrance as well as the elevator entrance. Um, something a little different. Uh, and so just to give you guys a moment of, of instruction now rather than when we're about to take communion later. If you notice, if you look at them, there, there is a wafer on the top level. There's actually two layers you can peel back. A thin plastic layer that will, you can then have the wafer for the bread. And then if you peel back the next layer, it gives you an option to, to drink the juice. So I wanted to say that now rather than kind of ruin the moment later on in the service as we're about to take communion together. Uh, there are roses on the altar today. Uh, we want to celebrate and acknowledge the anniversaries that we did not get a chance to when we were apart. So there are five roses on the altar today. One is for Vernon and Joanne Feldwich, celebrating 71 years of marriage on April 3rd. Jean and Pat Shrolicky, celebrating 56 years on April 11th. Tom and Diane Flutterjohn, celebrating 54 years on April 16th. Bill and Edith Henschen, celebrating 57 years on May 4th. And Lee and Gloria Schreer celebrating 63 years today. Perfect timing. So congratulations to all of those couples. And on one sad note, we do want to extend sympathy to the family of Jean Deerhake, who entered into Christ's care yesterday morning. So please be in prayer for his family as well. At this time, I want to invite Pastor Tori forward. She's going to introduce our call to worship. comes from Psalm 95, verses 1 through 7. Come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before him with thanksgiving and extol him with music and song. For the Lord is the great God, the great king above all gods. In his hands are the depths of the earth, and the mountain peaks belong to him. The sea is his, for he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. Come, let us bow down and worship. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker, for he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture, the flock under his care. Now, if you'll all stand and join us in singing our praise song, King of Kings, the words are printed in your bulletin. darkness you were waiting without hope without light till from heaven you came running there was mercy in your eyes to fulfill the law and prophets to a virgin came the word from a throne of endless glory to a cradle in the dirt Praise forever to the King. 
his breath till that stone was moved for good for the lamb had conquered death and the dead rose from their tombs and the angels stood in awe for the souls of all who'd come to the father are restored and the church of christ was born then the spirit lit the flame now this gospel truth of old shall not heal shall not faint by his blood and in his name in his freedom i am free for the love of jesus christ who has resurrected me seated. This time I want to invite forward Maria. She's going to have our children's chat today and she is so excited that there are some children in the room with us today. Do you want to encourage you families keep your children with you and Maria is going to share children's chat from up here. All right so if you would normally come up to children's chat I want you to stand up so that I can see you. Maybe kneel on the bench if you can't see but I need you to stand up. All right. So now I want you to go like this and like this. All right. You feel that hug? That's a hug from me because I missed you guys so much. I'm so excited to see you guys. All right. So school is out. Are we excited? Yes, we're excited. So what are we going to do this summer? Go to the pool ride our bikes, hang out with family and maybe some friends. All right. So we're ready for a restful, lazy summer. Yeah, that's what summer's all about. Well, in Genesis, the creation story tells us that God rested on the seventh day. What do you think God did the day he rested? What do you think he did? Do you think he went swimming? Maybe. Do you think he just laid around and enjoyed everything in creation? Maybe. Okay. We don't know. We don't know what he did up there. But we do know that he needed a day of rest. Just like you guys put in a hard year at school, you need some downtime, some rest time. So there's this saying that we need to stop and smell the roses. Have you ever heard of that before stop and smell the roses what do you think this means what do you think it means to stop and smell the roses to slow down to look at creation and all the beautiful things that god made all right so here's one thing that god made it's a lemon okay have you ever smelled a lemon Mmm, they smell pretty good so have you ever noticed that a lemon reminds me of cleaning. Because cleaning things are scented with lemon. When you smell lemon, you think, that smells clean. Okay? Now, how would our life be different if a lemon didn't smell clean? What if our cleaning things, what if, what if Lysol smelled like hot dogs or burned pizza? Can you imagine walking into your house? No. So that's why, you know, God made the lemon. Okay? And he made it juicy. And we can do all kinds of things with this lemon. Okay? We can make lemonade. We can flavor things with lemon. All right. What do we have here? A new box of crayons. Have you ever noticed how many colors there are? Now, this is a small box, but you can get pretty big boxes of crayons. Look at these colors. They're beautiful. Yeah. 
Now, what if when God was creating the world, he only made two colors, yellow and green? Think about that. What color would our sky be if things could only be yellow and green? Hmm. Something to think about. And you know, a new box of crayons, they smell pretty good. Maybe it's the teacher in me that thinks they smell good. I don't know. But I just love a new box of crayons, and it's always fun to start coloring with a new box of crayons. All right. Here are stuffed animals. This stuffy has been hugged and loved a lot. I had to get special permission to bring Cuddles with me today. He came out of the cedar chest to spend time with me today. How many of you have stuffed animals at home? What do you like to do with your stuffed animals? Sleep with them? You got one, Benjamin? What do you do with your stuffed animal? And his name is Brownie. Awesome. And you, do you cuddle with him? And sleep with him? Yeah. Did you ever notice, though, if you're having a bad day, your stuffed animal can be your best friend. You can cuddle with them and give them hugs and they make you feel better. But they also are great to listeners. You can tell them all your problems. And he's going to agree with you because he can't talk back. All right. So this summer, I want us to remember to stop and smell Jesus' roses. That means to stop and be grateful for the things that he has given us, which in turn can give us more and help us think of other ways to be grateful. Jesus cares about each one of us. The evidence is all around you. This summer, while your minds aren't busy thinking about school stuff, rest in God's creation. Be grateful and be glad. Let's say a quick prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for the opportunity to be back and see these kids' faces here. Even though we can't be close together, seeing them is awesome. Thank you for a completed school year, and we look forward to a healthy, happy, fun summer, resting and smelling the roses. Amen. Thank you, Maria. Before we go to the Lord in prayer today, I just want to take a moment and and acknowledge and remember that tomorrow is Memorial Day. Uh, Memorial Day uh, was first observed in 1868. Uh, It was called Decoration Day in that year, and and it was done uh, three years after the conclusion of the Civil War as a way to honor those who had died in that conflict. Uh, and, And... The first large observance was held that year in Arlington National Cemetery across the Potomac River from Washington, D.C. To ensure the sacrifices of America's fallen heroes are never forgotten, in December of 2000, U.S. Congress uh, passed the law and the president signed into law the National Moment of Remembrance Act. I share that with you today because the National Moment of Remembrance is at 3 p.m. local time on Memorial Day, so that will be 3 p.m. tomorrow. And, and the, it's an encouragement to take a moment of silence to remember and honor those who have died in service to this nation. As Moment of Remembrance founder Carmela Laspeda states, it is a way that we can help all put the memorial back in Memorial Day. So I want to encourage you, wherever you are tomorrow at 3 o'clock, I know a lot of uh, the local Memorial Day observations are not happening and those sorts of things, but wherever you find yourself, 3 p.m. tomorrow, I encourage you to take a moment Take a minute and pray and thank God for for those that have given the ultimate sacrifice uh, and service to our country. As Jesus himself said, greater love has no one than this, that one should lay down their life for a friend. This is also uh, would normally have been graduation Sunday. And so we are still planning to honor the graduates from our church at a later date. But I do want to take a moment and acknowledge that today. Uh, today would normally have been a, a very exciting day for our graduates. And, and so it may be a sense of disappointment with everything that has gone on these last couple months. But I just want to encourage you and pray for you today as well, that that though Commencement ceremonies aren't happening or aren't happening in a way they normally would happen. Graduation is still a major accomplishment and something to be proud of. Um, you're not the first graduation, graduating class to experience disappointment. Uh, generations have gone before you and have had their challenges of their own, uh, but this is certainly a unique experience for you. 
this won't be your last detour in life either. Uh, life will often throw detours, throw curveballs your way, and the best thing to do is handle that uh, with grace and, and by leaning into, into your relationship with the Lord. And finally, uh, you know, we have a greater purpose in life than commencement ceremonies, right, and graduation days. It's something to celebrate, something to, to, to look to those accomplishments and celebrate them. But remember, too, that, that life does not exist in commencement ceremonies and graduation days. It exists and points to the reality of our relationship with the Lord, and, and we can lean on him and, and depend on him no matter what our circumstances are that we face. I, I read an article over the weekend called Encouragement for the Disappointed 2020 Graduate, and those are some of the things that were shared. And I wanted to pass those along with along to you this morning. But know that know that we are proud of you, we celebrate you, and we will celebrate you at a later date once we get the details of that worked out. Uh, today, as we again, as we go to the Lord in prayer, I want to remind you again to be praying for for those uh, in the midst of this global pandemic, uh, the families of those that have lost their lives. Globally, as of yesterday, 341,930 have died. In the United States, 97,087. Let's pray. Lord God, I, I thank you that um, we have opportunities, both, both scheduled like Memorial Day and even spontaneous ones like, like now, that we can acknowledge and remember uh, your grace and your comfort in the midst of our hardships. Lord, uh, we, we honor and, and remember those who have given their lives for this country, and we, we thank you for their sacrifice, and especially also the sacrifice of the families who, who sent loved ones off to war and never saw them come back home. We acknowledge, Lord, the, the, the deaths of those that have, have lost the, the battle with, with COVID-19, and we ask for your grace to be with those who are grieving even now. And we also ask, Lord, that you'd be a comfort for those who are experiencing disappointment, that though Graduation Sunday may not be happening today, we acknowledge their accomplishments and ask for you to guide them into the next stage of life. We ask all of these things in the name of Christ, who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. So it's my joy to have uh, invite you to stand and sing our next song, number 262, Holy, 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 with Kay back on the organ with us today. Would you stand and sing with us?
be seated. I have to tell you, after 10 weeks of singing praise songs in a mostly empty room, these songs this today have felt real good <laughs> to be able to worship the Lord together with, with you again and hear your voices being lifted up to the Lord. What a blessing that is. We're going to read from 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 1 through 10. Uh, this is going to be the, the first of, a, of our summer sermon series. We're going to be looking uh, together at uh, both letters uh, that Paul wrote to the Thessalonian church, beginning here today with 1 Thessalonians 1, 1 through 10. Paul, Silas, and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace and peace to you. We always thank God for all of you and continually mention you in our prayers. We remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers and sisters, loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit and deep conviction. You know how we lived among you for your sake. We beca- you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you welcomed the message in the midst of severe suffering with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. And so you became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. The Lord's message rang out from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia. Your faith in God has become known everywhere. Therefore, we do not need to say anything about it, for they themselves report what kind of reception you gave us. They will tell, they tell how you turn to God from idols to serve the, to serve the living and true God. Excuse me. They tell how you turn to God from idols to serve the living God and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. Today, as I mentioned, we're going to be looking at uh, the letters that Paul wrote to the Thessalonian church. And, and I want to give a little bit of context about them before we just jump into this passage. And there's, there's so much here in this passage, I wish we could spend more time on it today. But I want to just hit some of the high points for us as we, as we prepare our hearts uh, to hear what God has to say, but also prepare our hearts for communion together. Actually, let's take a moment and let's pray and thank God for his word as well. Father God, it is good to be with your people again, and I pray now as we open the scriptures together that you would, your Holy Spirit would guide us, would, op- would soften our hearts, and I pray, Lord, that you would give me the words to speak. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Paul wrote a lot of letters to churches that he, he spent time in, he founded, or he, he ministered in, and we have the record of those in the New Testament. It's interesting to think that most of what we have as the New Testament are actually letters that that Paul or or Peter or James, you know, they wrote to a group of believers, and it's like we get a little a little um, inside look into what life was like, what what the church was experiencing during those early early years of of Christianity, and. It, this letter in particular is interesting because it's written to a, a town, Thessalonica, that is still in existence today. Besides Rome, obviously, Thessalonica, or Thessaloniki as it's known in Greece today, is, is still a, a, a metropolitan area. So you can actually go and visit the very city that Paul was writing this letter to. Some of the other cities like Philippi and Ephesus are, you can go and visit the, the ruins or visit where they existed at one point, but it's quite a unique uh, experience or it, what a cool idea to be able to go and actually walk the streets and visit the place that Paul ministered in and, and know that people are still living today or still living there today. Paul first visited Thessalonica. We read about that in Acts chapter 17. Initially, Paul didn't want to go there. He wanted to travel to Asia Minor instead, which would be modern-day Turkey. But he had a dream of a man from Macedonia begging him to come and help. So he changed his plans and headed to Greece, traveling to Philippi, Thessalonica, Athens, and eventually Corinth. He likely stayed in Thessalonica for several months, up to a year even, before having to head out of town in the middle of the night. And so these two letters that we have in, in our scriptures, First and Second Thessalonians, were written to teach and encourage the church that Paul started there. Not only them, but they encourage us as well. The big idea I want us to get out of these opening verses of First Thessalonians is that, is that the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, that transforms us in order that we may then share that good news and that hope with other people. 
Paul here first says that he is writing to the church of the Thessalonians. The word church in the Greek is ekklesia. And the reason I share that with you is because ekklesia literally means the called out ones, the ones who are called out. It was a word that was uh, used throughout the New Testament to describe the church, the people of God. In the Greek translation of the Old Testament, it's also used to describe God's people when they gathered together for worship at the temple, the assembly that gathered there. So the ecclesia, the, the church, is the called out ones, the, the people, the gathered people of God. And the reason I, I want to highlight that for us today, especially today, is because it's a reminder that the church is not the building. It's the people. Right? When I wrote letters to the church over the past couple months, I didn't write them with this pulpit in mind. I didn't write them with the pew that you're sitting in in mind or even these stained glass windows. When I wrote to First Church, I was writing to the people. I was writing to you. You are the church. You are the ecclesia. You know, whether you are here in the sanctuary, whether you're listening on the radio, whether you're watching on Facebook, you are the church. You are the ones who are called by God, not a building, not a sanctuary, but you, the people. We are the church. Why am I spending, you know, so much time hung up on this one word? There's a few reasons I want to I want to share with you this morning. The first is that there's been a lot of talk over these past 10 weeks about churches being closed. Just a couple days ago, the president held a news conference in which he demanded that places of worship be allowed to open, that they are essential businesses. Now, there's been a lot of fun discussion around what that means, right? Essential versus non-essential, those sorts of things. But but he said that uh, churches are essential businesses and should be open. And I agree with that. I believe that the church is essential. But I have a newsflash for you. The church didn't close for the last 10 weeks. The church didn't cease to exist over the last couple months. We chose not to gather together out of safety concerns. Right? We chose to, to avoid our, our worship gatherings out of love for our neighbor and trying to watch out for each other's health. But the church didn't stop being the church. Right? The church didn't stop existing because we weren't gathering together on a regular basis. I'll tell you what I did see. I saw neighbors watching out for each other. I saw people picking up groceries for their vulnerable friends. I saw people donating time and money to deliver hot meals once a week. I saw people packing bags at Agape so that kids would have something to eat in the absence of school lunches. I saw people willing to gather and sing praises to an empty sanctuary in order for God's people to worship together through the radio and Facebook. I saw the church alive and well over the last 10 weeks. Ladies and gentlemen, the church was not closed. We just chose not to gather for a time. And second, when we start viewing the church as the people, right, it changes our perspective on what ministry is really all about. How many of you have ever said, I think the church should do this, or I think the church should start that ministry? Right, don't lie, because I've done it and I'm the pastor, right? We've all been there and thought that the church should do this or the church should do that. But what are we really saying when we talk like that? We're saying that, you know, the church is somehow separate or different from me, the person, as if the church exists to meet my needs. But if you are the church, and if, and if I am the church, that means that we are all in this together. It means that, that we minister to each other, and minister, excuse me, with each other and to each other. Right? If the church is the called out ones, if it's the people of God gathered together, then, and we don't stop existing when we can't gather together, right? We continue to be the church. That means that we can continue to minister with and to each other. And lastly, I want to share about, about why, why I'm focusing on this word church so much is because why I think when we truly get that perspective, when we truly Look at, at the church through that lens that we are the gathered people, that we are the people of God. We are, ga- when we're gathered together and we're still the people of God when we're scattered apart. And it changes our perspective on, on our own lives and what it means to, to trust the Lord, what it means to follow Him. What it means to be, I think what it does is it transforms our perspective it, and helps shape us more and more into the image of Christ. 
Paul here talks about the kind of impact that the gospel had in the Thessalonian church. And I think the reason the gospel had such an impact and was so powerful was because of that very reason. They realized that, that the church was the people. People called by God, loved by God, and that truth made all the difference for them. So what is the gospel? What, what is such a powerful truth that can really transform us from the inside out? Well, we see that in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 here that Paul, Paul praises God and, and continually, continually mentions the Thessalonians in his prayers because he remembers how, how their faith produced work, their love produced labor, their hope inspired endurance because of the Lord Jesus Christ. They saw the kind of transformation that took place, that they were called and loved, excuse me, loved and chosen by God himself. Scripture paints this really, really beautiful picture of what it means to be called by God, to be chosen by him. And in Romans 8, it, it uses the analogy of, of adoption to describe that that we are adopted unto sonship, that we are made sons and daughters of God. Some of you have probably seen those uh, viral videos of, of a child, whether it's a young child or even a teenager, uh, and they're surprised uh, that, that their mom or their dad, uh, or excuse me, like maybe their stepmom or stepdad, is choosing to adopt them. Hey, you guys have seen those videos before. I'm not, I'm not too emotional all the time, but those ones kind of get me, right? Where, where they get to open a present and inside that present is the papers about officially becoming a child of, of their stepmom or their stepdad legally. And, and, and the, almost more often than not, the kid just breaks down with joy and excitement and, and just so much uh, love because of that one notion of, of legally uh, making that adoption legal. See, that's what God has done for us in Christ. We were separate from him. We were, uh, we were once enemies from God and, and because of our sin and rebellion against him. But because of what Christ has done for us, we have been brought into his family. We've been adopted into his family. And the Bible is very clear about this, right? We're chosen and we're loved by God, not because of what we've done, but because of his goodness and his character. Last week, as Pastor Tori was preaching from Exodus, she referenced God's faithfulness and read from Deuteronomy chapter 7. And I want to just highlight something from that verse. She talked, she read from this passage to, to, to point to God's faithfulness, but I want you to notice something else in Deuteronomy chapter 7, verses 6 through 7. Says, this is God speaking to the people. He says, you are a people holy. Uh, this, is, this is Moses speaking to the people. You are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you out of all the peoples on the face of the earth to be his people, his treasured possession. The Lord did not set his affection on you and choose you because you were more numerous than other peoples, for you were the fewest of all peoples. But it was because the Lord loved you and kept the oath he swore to your ancestors that he brought you out of out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the land of slavery, from the power of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Notice there what the difference is. God chose Israel not because they were better than everyone else, not because they had earned it, but simply out of God's love and out of his grace and his mercy. And the same is true for us today. The gospel is good news because it means that God chooses to love us even in spite of our sin, that he had made a way for our sins to be forgiven, that we could become sons and daughters of God. And we see that Paul Paul highlights this, that that they are loved and chosen by God, but it doesn't end there. He talks about how their lives have now been transformed by that truth. We cannot remain the same once we're called and loved by God. Once you experience God's grace, it changes you forever. That's why Paul says the gospel came to them with power. Maybe he's talking about miracles. Maybe he's talking about spiritual gifts. Honestly, it's not very clear. This passage isn't very clear on the specifics of what he means by by the gospel coming to them with power. But what he does say is that it was powerful. right? They experienced the gospel in a real and profound way, and it changed them. They weren't the same. They couldn't be. Right, Romans 1.16 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. Right, that's, that's what the gospel does for us. The good news of Jesus Christ changes us, and it changes us in three ways. And Paul highlights them quickly for us here. 
It changes their behavior. Notice he talks about, he, he knows that the gospel made a difference in their lives because he noted their work, their labor, their endurance. He says that they've become imitators of the Lord. Right, their behavior changed. They, be, they, were able, they were able to live lives that more and more reflected God's goodness and God's glory. So their behavior changed because of the gospel. Second, their allegiance changed. Paul, met, Paul notes how they turned away from idols in order to serve the one true living God. Right, the, the interesting thing about that day and that time period was that there were, there were gods everywhere. Every street corner had a temple. Right, every marketplace had gods dedicated to certain trades and certain crafts. There was even a god uh, named Roma, a goddess who personified the Roman Empire. Caesars like, like, or emperors like Julius Caesar and Augustus Caesar were worshipped as gods. And so w- religion was a regular, normal part of life. But to say there was only one true God was a pretty radical idea. And again, we may think this is unique to that time period, that we don't suffer the same sort of uh, uh, misunderstanding. We may not call them gods, we may not call them idols, but they are certainly alive and well today, right? Think of all the things that are competing for our attention, competing for our allegiance. That The things that distract us from truly following Christ, those things are our idols today. And when we trust in the gospel, we turn away from those things and trust in the one true living God. Behavior changes, allegiance changes, and third, the perspective changes. They're able to focus their hope on Christ and his return. This future hope then changed how they lived in the present. I'm, gonna, I'm not going to dig into this part too deeply because this is a theme that will pop up again throughout this letter. But, but know this, right? God's people lived in eager anticipation of Christ's return. For them, they thought it could be any day, right? And we're talking 2,000 years ago, and, and yet Christ still has not returned. And so while it seems like it has, maybe God has forgotten about us, right? God promises that Christ will return. And for 2,000 years, God, people have been waiting and waiting and waiting. But God certainly hasn't forgotten. God is not slow in keeping his promises as some, you know, perceive that, Second Peter says. But, but he is faithful and he is patient with us. And what God calls us to do is wait on the Lord. The Psalms are full of passages that describe what that, that means. When we talk about waiting on the Lord, we're not talking about um, like some sort of passive waiting, like we distract ourselves with other things and then one day Jesus shows up. What the Bible talks about waiting on the Lord and putting our hope in Him is an, an eager anticipation, a, an active waiting. Hear these words from Psalm 27, verses 13 to 14. The psalmist writes, I remain confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord, be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. Right? That is active waiting. That is, that is anticipation and that is hope. Last thing I want to share with you this morning, the last thing I think Paul is, is commending this Thessalonian church for is that, is that their hope, right? Their, their living for Christ didn't remain in them. It wasn't just contained to the four walls of their, their church. If they had a church like this, most they probably met in someone's home. But their, their, the way they lived their lives then emanated out from them and made an impact on everyone around them. You see, we're saved, right? We experience the goodness and love and grace of Christ so that we can be a beacon of hope to others. Salvation is not just for ourselves. It's not something we are meant to hoard or keep secret. It's something that should be, that needs to be shared with other people. That has been God's plan from the very beginning. Right? Think about it. God chose Abraham so that all nations that would be on earth would be blessed through him. That's in Genesis 12. He chooses Israel so that they would be a light to the nations. It's Isaiah 49, verse 6. So that, it says in 49, Isaiah 49, verse 6, so that God's salvation would reach the ends of the earth. He chose the disciples so that they would be witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Acts chapter 1 verse 8. He chose the Thessalonians so that they would be an example for all believers in Macedonia and Achaia so that the Lord's message would ring out from them all across the region. It's in verse 8 of our passage today. So brothers and sisters in Christ, he chose you so that you would declare the praises of him who brought you out of darkness into into his marvelous light. 
He chose you so that you would be a light in a dark world, so that people would see your good deeds and glorify our Father who is in heaven. You see, I think we individualize our salvation a little too much. We make it all about, all about me and my personal relationship with Christ. And, and in doing that, we keep him in a little box and only take him out when it's convenient. But let me challenge you today. Don't keep him to yourself. May your relationship with Jesus be so real, so authentic, so meaningful, so powerful, as Paul puts it here, that you can't help but share him with others. May you experience the life-changing reality of the gospel for yourself so that you are ready to share it then with other people. Evangelism through word and deed is what scripture is. Scripture talks about evangelism through word and deed, right? There are times when we're called to share the gospel through words. First Peter chapter three, verse 15 says that in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope you have and do so with gentleness and respect. But it's often the case, perhaps more often, but certainly often the case that our actions Speak louder than our words. We share the gospel not with the things that we say, but how we live our lives, how we treat people, how we act at work or with our family, how we act at restaurants. Right? We overcomplicate evangelism too much. We don't need a theology degree. You don't need to prepare a sermon. All you need to do is be an example. Allow the gospel to transform your life and then live it out. And when you do that, people will notice. After all, as one person said, evangelism is simply one beggar telling another beggar where they can find food. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you that you have, you have given us your gospel. You have chosen us and you have loved us in Christ so that our lives would be transformed and that we could be a light for others. May you work in us and through us to bring about your will. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. As we prepare our hearts for communion today, I invite you to stand and sing with us once again, To God Be the Glory.
you may be seated. Communion is a, such an important thing that we do as Christians, right? It's a reminder of all that Christ has done for us. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, right, he gathered his disciples together and he shared a meal with them. And as the meal came to a close, he took bread and, and he talked about how it was his body, which was about to be broken for them. He took a cup of wine and talked about how, how that cup was, was a signifier of, of his blood, which was about to be shed for them so that he could make a new covenant so that sins could be forgiven. And so we, we gather around the communion table to, to remember what Christ has done for us. And, and as we do so, it also brings us together as brothers and sisters in Christ, doesn't it? Because the one thing we have in common, no matter who we are, no matter what experiences we've gone through, whether you're sitting here in the sanctuary or whether you're watching on Facebook, whether you're listening on the radio, is that, is that if you have trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you are a son or daughter of God, and you, we, are, we are now brothers and sisters in Christ because of that. That's the one thing that, that all people, all Christians have ever, that have ever lived have in common, no matter where we've been, no matter what we've done, is that if you trust in Christ, your sins are forgiven, and you have a relationship with the Lord. And so not only does this point us to the reality of what God has done for us, it also brings us together as brothers and sisters of Christ. And so that's why we thought it was so important that this first day, kind of back together, gathered as, as for in-person worship, that we take time to celebrate communion together. So as we do so, I want to pray, and I encourage you to take a moment and, and, and go to the Lord. Communion is always an opportunity to confess and to repent. To come before the Lord and acknowledge the ways that we have wronged him, the, the sin in our lives and the ways that we've fallen short, and, and to go to him with those things because we know that in him is forgiveness of sins. Let's pray together. Father God, I thank you that, thank you, that you are who you are, that you have gathered your people, that, that you have sustained your church and always will. I thank you, Lord Jesus, that you laid down your life for us, that our sins would be forgiven. We acknowledge, Lord, that we have, we have sinned in word and thought and in deed. We have, we have, through the things that we have done and the things that we have left undone. And so we ask now for your forgiveness, for your grace to be poured out in us. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you died on the cross, one sacrifice for all time, that, that in you we are forgiven, both of our past, our present, and our future sins. You are, you are good, and you have, you have poured out your love for us. Through, through your Holy Spirit. So we acknowledge our ways of falling, the ways that we have fallen short, Lord, and we, we acknowledge our need for you at this time. And Lord, we thank you that you are faithful and just, that if we confess our sins, uh, you will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. As Paul says, I've received from the Lord what I also pass on to you. The Lord Jesus on the night he's betrayed took bread, and having given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Whenever you drink it, do so in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So all who have trusted in Christ as your Lord and Savior, I encourage you to take this sacrament to your comfort. This is the body of our Lord Jesus Christ, broken for you. and his blood, which is shed for you, that our sins would be forgiven. Amen. Let's pray together. Father God, I thank you for this gift. I pray you pour out your spirit on us now that we would go from this place living lives, Lord, empowered by you in response to the love that you've shown us in Christ. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. As we close out our service here today, I invite you to stand and join with us as we sing our final praise song, Raise the Hallelujah. Oh, uh-huh. 
Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. You may go in peace.